Well, I am very fortunate now to be welcome or to welcome rather Michael Shade, the CEO and co-founder of Rockfish Games, who is putting out Everspace 2 onto consoles available now on PC. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you agreed to, to do the interview. I have a vested interest in Everspace. The game looks amazing. I'm stoked for the console release. Uh, I, have, I have so many questions for you, but uh, I'm curious to know, how are you guys feeling with the console re uh, release trailer now out there for everyone to see? Uh, the team is super excited, of course. I mean, we've been working on this for a little bit over five years. Mm -hmm. And since we don't have any publishers or investors having our back, so if a release wins well, <laughs> it's a great relief. Uh, no, really, uh, the team is super excited. We're sitting at 88% positive reviews on Steam. So mm -hmm. that's fascinating. So we have high hopes that there will be good feedback on the console version as well. Because if you do, if you go through early access, you do your polishing, and then you do the console port, you know the game's in, uh, in great shape. And I just play tested it myself. Super smooth, 60 frames. It looks gorgeous on Xbox and PlayStation. So yeah, we're in a good position. Super exciting, super exciting. You guys announced uh, the release date would be August 15th for Xbox Series S and X, as well as PlayStation 5. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. Oh, so cool, so exciting. So close and right around the corner. That is a blast. Um, I, I want to touch on the idea that we're talking about Everspace 2 and that you guys have Everspace 1. It's out there. People have been playing it for years. Um, but this is a different take. Everspace 1 was a roguelike in some ways. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, you could you could even say that we did a non-sequel. So a lot of people were asking us. So Everspace 1 was quite successful. I mean, we sold over a million of copies. Uh, why did you uh, ditch the core loop? And um, the answer is... Having a linear roguelike in the first place was kind of a compromise for the game that we wanted to make um, from the get-go, but we didn't mm -hmm. have the budget to make an open-world action RPG in space because mm -hmm. that's like, it costs you more than 10 million to make, and we just started the new studio with our first Kickstarter. We didn't have the budget for that. So we had to uh, be a bit more flexible about the core loop, and this is why we came up with this linear roguelike mechanic. Mm -hmm. We still wanted to have this very action, com space combat-focused title. There are RPG elements. There is a story, which, which is a bit tricky in a roguelike, but we've, I think we found a good way to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the commercial success of the first Everspace, then on Everspace 2, we could work on a much bigger vision. And uh, even the people, our fans who liked Everspace 1 said, yeah, but I rather want to have an open world space action RPG. And um, so this is why we changed the core loop. And then the internal pitch line from the team was Diablo meets Freelancer. Oh, okay. So that's quite a, that's a, that's a heavy bit of uh, <laughs> no pressure there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like when they came up with this, I was like, Ooh, that's uh well, it's, it's the, the classic. I think every space game fan knows freelancer and uh, everybody was hoping for, oh, we want to have another freelancer. That's like 20 years ago and we've been waiting too long for this. And because freelancer had this um, really made space combat games um, or the genre more accessible because you mm -hmm. didn't have to have like a, this a joystick like HOTAS and mm -hmm. uh, you could play it with mouse and key keyboard and um, actually it's pretty arcadey the way the flight model and um, that was one thing and then having this open world and um, 
like there's a lot a lot of things going on and there's just a great story to follow but you can go also on your own path so people really wanted to have a successor to that mm-hmm. now of course we didn't want to just copy that and uh, have it like better paint <laughs> better graphics mm-hmm. right. and um, our core team they really love diablo like the the loot spiral that you always go for the the next epic loot drop and then you go from common, uncommon, and then legendary, and um, have mm. your you make your builds. And this is why why they said, "Hey, let's combine that." And then um, these are two things that we haven't seen together. So, if you want to call it, that's the way where we innovate by combining mm-hmm. these uh, super popular genres, and mm-hmm. then come up with something new. This is why we said, "Everspace Two is a new breed of space game." That's interesting. It's fa- and I'm curious. I, I just. The idea of combining a Diablo loop, uh, loop and getting loot in the upgrade system with a space combat game uh, is extremely enticing. When I think of Everspace, uh, just in terms of like its flight and combat, I go back to games like Rogue Squadron and Star Lancer and Colony Wars. And so when I pull up Freelancer, it's like, yeah, same same concept there. That's uh, a blast. Now, in building like those loot systems to have that loop similar to Diablo, uh, how difficult is that to do in general? I mean, I've seen some games try it and not quite get it. Uh, others like Diablo proper, like that's that's the jam. How difficult is it to get the right scaling and the amount of loot, stuff like that? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. We just did our post-mortem with a team and it, mm-hmm. it really came out. The toughest thing was balancing the game because we have nine different ship classes in the game. So there mm-hmm. are many, many different uh, types of weapons. Then you have your um, different stages, you have your legendaries, and then you don't know um, what kind of crazy builds that our fans come up with. And there are some some crazy builds. So every Friday we st- uh, stream the, the development build for two hours and then we mm-hmm. ask the community to send their safe games and then we try out some of their builds we're like oh we didn't know that you can combine this weapon with another one and then really you just mow through enemies like crazy and it's so interesting to see that and even though it's just a single player game where you could say well balancing is not that important true to a certain degree but of course we wanted to make sure that really like hunting a certain piece of equipment is really worth your time and then you feel super powerful once you found it and then you feel even more clever if you combine it in the right way with the right ship class and whatnot so a lot of thought went into into this and i have to say um without early access i think we spent a little bit over two years it would have been very hard for us to really nail this because we sold 250,000 copies through Steam Early Access. And then mm-hmm. I don't know how many people played it, but quite a lot. And I think a couple thousand pilots provided feedback. And that was super valuable feedback that even if we had done a professional QA, like you hire, let's say, 10, 20 pilots to try this out, you would never get this kind of in-depth uh, feedback as we do from our Early Access pilots. And, and in fact, we did a lot of changes to the game for instance, the, the biggest change was like we had level scaling in there, or enemy scaling. And a lot of people just outright hate it. They don't mm-hmm. like it at all. On the other hand, if you do have a loot-based game, and if you don't have a certain type of uh, enemy scaling, if you go to the beginner area, all the loot is worthless. So you mm-hmm. need to find a way to combine that. And um, that one of the major changes we did during early access was really like come up with a system. Like enemies are, um, they stay at their level 
as long as you stay within the star system. There are several uh, sectors within the star system. So it takes about five, 10 hours to play through a star system. If you move to the next, if you hit a certain point in story progression, then there's a radio message. Oh, the enemies of the previous system, they leveled up, they have new gear. So we, we implemented or incorporated to the lore. And then you know, if you go back, the enemies are stronger, but not stronger than you. But still, there's a reason to go back. So those yeah. are the probably the two things that I'd say had been uh, the most challenging here. So that's really fascinating to to hear how involved the community was in helping you guys balance because of early access. Um, what types of feedback do would be most helpful? Like if someone's playing the game, I know some people might say, "Oh, this is too easy, too hard." I'm sure that's helpful, but what what what's the best kind of feedback you can get in terms of helping production? Yeah, you get that a lot. So you get it on both uh, spectrums, right? We we try to balance for normal. So we always said we're going to have uh, different difficulty levels. Mm -hmm. But of course, during early access, you don't do this at the beginning. You do this at a later stage. And then you get people, oh, it's way too easy, <laughs> like from the super skilled pilots. And I, I want to have a bigger challenge. And those are the ones who would play on, on hard, very hard, or we even have a nightmare stage. Mm -hmm. And then you have the others, maybe they're just not used to the genre, haven't played in a long time or just not as mm -hmm. skillful. And they say, um, this is way, very too hard. There are difficulty spikes and I, I can't um, defeat those enemies. Or they miss the point. It's actually an open world game. And you should do some side activities before you go to the next zone, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so this is, um, this, so you have that kind of feedback that mm -hmm. is expected. And you said, yeah, that it makes sense. Um, the, the more valuable feedback comes if people really say, okay, this mechanic doesn't work or I don't understand it. So even watching people play the game like streamers, it's very, very helpful. So part of the early access was also that we didn't give keys to anybody. You really mm -hmm. had to buy your copy. And by that, you make sure that everybody who plays the game is really invested, be it mm -hmm. like... Um, the gamer at home or even professional streamers. And mm -hmm. then we could watch them play. And we haven't that with Kokanish is one of our biggest fans. He's one of the top streamers and he backed both of our Kickstarter campaigns and he mm -hmm. paid thousand euros to have his own space station in Everspace space too. And you have that at some point. And there's even a voice line for him in, in the main story. So we really enjoyed that. So when, he, when Everspace space two came out, he played it for 52 hours until he mm -hmm. uh, beat the game. And there was one particular boss fight. I always had the feeling this one is too tough. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. And the team loves to ignore my <laughs> advice or opinion. Mm -hmm. And then co-played on hard, very hard, and he mm -hmm. also was frustrated. There would have been a way to make his life easier, but mm -hmm. he didn't play it the way. The way he played it was super frustrating. So, hey, guys, even Co-Carnage, who loves the game, mm -hmm. was was frustrated by this, let's change that boss fight. And we did that in the last update. So, And he saw yeah. that and he really appreciated it. So this is, this is one prime example, especially with the boss fights, mm -hmm. because um, there, you introduce new mechanics or you combine the new mechanics, and then you have to see if people really understand what to do, because... Mm -hmm. Us as the developer, we know how to defeat the boss. But if you don't know that, this is experience, you cannot have that. So this is very um, useful to work um, with uh, with the team here um, that is um, of the test pilot, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And we even went so far that the ones that had been most responsive, I'd say there were like 10 people clocked more than 1,000 hours in the game. We then gave them uh, under NDA access to the final build before the 1.0 release to have a final test round because obviously you don't 
have the 1.0 in early access. You still want to have right. your the final missions, um, the end game and whatnot have to be tested and by those uh, individuals. Amazing feedback. And again, this is this is nothing you would get from a QA and they find bugs and things that were like, oh, this is possible or not or that broken. Mm -hmm. It's insane. So I, uh, it goes so far, I'd say I would never do a game without doing early access. Interesting. Wow. That's, that's a bold statement then. That's a bold statement then. Does that change the way, uh, like, like the way you fund a game for development then? If you're like, if you're saying, all right, from here on out, we only do early access. Does that change how you fund it or development times or who you work with? Steam early access, Xbox is early access, I believe. Like, does that change development in a way? It does a lot. Uh, truth be told, without early access, we could have could have not made such a big game. So, uh, as I said, we sold two hundred fifty thousand copies through early access. Mm -hmm. the, back then, and through early access, the game was forty bucks. Now it's fifty bucks. Then, obviously, not worldwide. Worldwide, it's not always the same price. Uh, but um, we really made a couple million just from early access. And mm -hmm. if we had not had done early access we would have had to go to a publisher, say, hey, give us another 5 million. So the base game has a development budget of 15 million euros. Mm -hmm. So, and I'd say, yeah, round about 5 million comes from early access. Then another portion comes from profits from the, the first game. And then mm -hmm. we also, we have a really good uh, deal with Game Pass. Obviously, I cannot share any details, but mm -hmm. you can imagine, imagine those deals are really good. Mm -hmm. So if you put this all together, this is this is how we were able to make such a big game. Um, so without early access, no chance. So we would have had to go through a publisher. And then again, if you try to sell a space game to a publisher, and I've tried this for a long, for many, many years, mm -hmm. they just don't like space games because it is a niche genre. It's, it's mm -hmm. risky. Then there's Star Citizen. There's No Man's Sky. There's Elite Dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then they say, oh, man, that's an, quite an uphill battle to mm -hmm. do that. So, um, yeah, so we had to do this on our own. And today, in hindsight, obviously, we're super excited. And quite a few publishers said, ah, damn, we should have signed that title. And I can say, yeah, you should have. But you didn't. You didn't. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Game Pass. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I know you can't give details there. But is it, you said you couldn't have made this game without early access and the funding from that. Could you have made the game without the Game Pass influx? We could have, but it would have been a smaller game. So clearly, once we signed the deal with our friends at Microsoft, um, mm -hmm. because some part of the funds, the license fee is when you launch on PC, the game preview program. Mm -hmm. There's something we did. And then you get a significant uh, chunk of the license. Mm -hmm. And that enabled us to work nine more months on the game. Obviously, it's not like the... The, the, how to say, the, the part of the license doesn't cover the nine months run rate of our studio, but mm -hmm. combined to the other revenue sources that we had, the ongoing mm -hmm. uh, revenue plus the Game Pass deal enabled us to add nine to 12 months uh, more um, production time. And obviously, we were able to add more content, um, have a better grade of polish. So, um, yeah, it's a really good deal. And then a lot of people ask me, so you probably sold less copies on Steam because we are on Game Pass on PC. Mm -hmm. on to, be, to be frank, I couldn't see the, any dip. So at least if you do PC Game Pass, it did not hurt sales. And I'd say right now it's one of the best, if not the best deal in the industry, especially for indies like us, because mm -hmm. it enables us uh, to work on more smaller genres like or more niche genres they're more special 
and then it gets us visibility, it gets us extra funding, and um, yeah, that's um, it's, a, it's a perfect combination. We still we're still independent, so it's not like if we say we want to get out or release the game at one date, and then we say, well, but we need three months longer, and if you can fund that, and Microsoft, yeah, fine. Just let us know, right? It's not, mm -hmm. if you imagine you do this with a publisher and you lock mm -hmm. in a release date, you have to get out. This is why titles get pushed out, even though mm -hmm. they're not ready. But in our case, we're truly independent. We can decide what, when the game comes out, when it's good enough. We just have to make sure that we let uh, our friends at Microsoft know and they're very supportive. And then, um, yeah, you hit the button and same with the console release. You give them a heads up, you do the planning when it's going to come out. And, Of course, you try to uh, have a release date close to their big beats. This is what we did with the IGN and Idea the Xbox event. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's maximum flexibility, extra funding, and you just make a better game. And everybody's happy. Then even everybody who's not on Game Pass is getting a better game. So even the PlayStation fans mm -hmm. get a better game on PS5 because of the deal with Game Pass. That's super cool. And should note, by the way, uh, if, if you pre-order PlayStation users, this includes you guys. Uh, you guys are doing a 20% discount if you pre-order the game. Is that correct? That is correct. But you have to be, uh, this is only for PlayStation Plus. So you have to be gotcha. out of that. But of course, PlayStation Plus makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think it's a rule that they have. We, I think we wanted to make this for all, but then they say, no, it's only uh, available for PS Plus. And um, technically, there's no real pre-order on Xbox, but mm -hmm. if you're on Game Pass, you also get 20% discount. So technically speaking, on both platforms, you get a 20% off. Gotcha. So ways to incentivize. It's, it's neat to hear you talk about, I guess, the economic side of these subscription services in funding an indie AA type of project and how early access. I, to me, that's very fascinating because how games get funded seems to be changing over the last 15 years. And I don't know if that's just my observation from the outside as an amateur, but it seems like uh, the work is different in that respect. Oh, absolutely. So to a certain degree, making games has never been easier because digital distribution with a few pushes of a few buttons, you are live worldwide on Steam. There's no gatekeeping anymore, which used to be the case with like physical distribution. You had to find a publisher. They go to retail and, and whatnot. So very complex process. And obviously there was not the funding for that. And you couldn't make small games because of the whole retail distribution chain, the game had to be at a certain price. Otherwise, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So only because of digital distribution, you could make games that sell for 10 or 20 bucks, like the indie scene. So otherwise, it wouldn't have existed. That's one. The second is like Unity and Unreal Engine. You can use it without significant upfront cost, and they mm -hmm. just get a royalty share. So that's the, the, one, uh, the other big change. Now, that means... Now, the whole world is your com competition. So anybody in the world, any team in the world can participate. So that makes it even harder. And this is why discoverability, but also funding is so crucial. And this is why deals like Game Pass or, the, or being on the Epic Game Store, um, I think they still fund games. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's the Apple, what's the program again? Uh Apple Arcade. Thank you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they also have a program. So if you, they're a little bit more in the family Uh, style games, if you're working on a title like that, definitely go to Apple. These deals are fantastic because 
and oftentimes they don't require exclusivity. So Game Pass, for instance, there is no exclusivity on, ga on, on Game Pass, on, on Xbox. We can, can launch in the same day uh, as PlayStation. And, mm -hmm. um, and this is really, it enables teams like us and even smaller teams to work on their dream project that otherwise a publisher wouldn't have picked up. So uh, yeah, this is why we see more games in general, but also more different games. That's exciting to hear about. That's, and to me, just super interesting uh, on a number of levels. Um, I appreciate you letting me go down that road because it's just fascinating. But I will uh, bring us back to Everspace uh, proper. There is a, a good bit of customization in the bills that you create by way of, of the different loot that you were talking about. But you also mentioned there are nine ships that you can work with. Is that correct? Yeah, we have nine ship classes. And I think we went a bit crazy here. So not okay. only do we have nine ship classes, we also have four tiers that these each of those ship classes can come in, obviously with better stats. Mm -hmm. And um, then you can even go into the hangar at some point and then customize your ship. So change the colors, put some decals on and whatnot and change the emissive lights and the color of the thrusters and whatnot. But you can even go so far that uh, if you found the blueprint in the game, you can change the wing type, the engines, the cockpit, even the hull. So you can completely go ham. Like we have a full transmogging system uh, in there. So as long as you stay within your class, obviously, uh, uh -huh. but still within the class, um, you have different types um, that really changes the, the design, the look and feel of the ship. And uh, yeah, people love that a lot. We see that. Yeah. It has been a lot of work. I think we counted, we have more than 200 ship modules that you can combine with each other. It's, uh, it's crazy. This is a Starfighter fan's dream then, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. We see, we see this in the streams. Even uh, streamers uh, like to have their own ship and change that. There's even Code Carnage. His logo is also in the game. So mm -hmm. obviously he loves that to put that uh, onto the wings and whatnot. And um, yeah, and then they come up with uh, crazy color combinations. And um, there's going to come uh, more. So we're working on a free update already. So we add mm -hmm. more content to the game that's scheduled for later this year. So there will be more items, more customization, more ship modules, um, just more. Is it difficult to avoid temptation to create kind of some well-known starfighters from different sci-fi genres? Is it difficult to battle that or does it, is it fun to just explore what you all can do with you, your style? <laughs> yeah, you have to f walk a fine line. Obviously, uh, you cannot go too close to iconic uh, spaceship designs. Mm -hmm. However, um, you can certainly get inspired by stuff. And even mm -hmm. if you look at the, the big movie franchises, even they got inspired by other mm -hmm. movies that had been there earlier. So it's, it's a gray area. Um, you have to make sure that it still has this, your own design language. If it's mm -hmm. too straight, like as an obvious copycat, that's not a good idea. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, people say, well, I want to have a spaceship that looks like a certain spaceship mm -hmm. in this super uh, popular game. Of course, you have to avoid uh, or you just simply cannot have registered mm -hmm. names. Like if there are conic names for a certain type of space fighter, <laughs> not mm -hmm. using it right now to not get in trouble, mm -hmm. um, you cannot have that in there. But you can have certainly, certainly you can have lookalikes. Mm -hmm. That is fine. And if you go with the customization road, uh, then people actually can customize um, their ship the way they saw a, a certain ship in another, let's say, in a movie or mm -hmm. even in a game and mm -hmm. make something that's quite similar. Not exactly like it, but quite similar. Yeah, of course. 
uh, as a fan of Starfighter games, uh, you know, we, we've had a few in recent years, but one of the things I love most is seeing the weapons in space, the, the way that different uh, lasers or missiles or whatnot look in space to me is just super cool. And you guys have a plethora. It, just in watching the trailer and watching the PC reviews, you guys have a lot of weapon types. Would you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we have easily more than 20 different types of primary weapons, mm -hmm. and they change. So if you see the, how to say, the pin, they have a gimbal uh, mechanic. Mm -hmm. So the, actually, the weapon shoots where you aim with the mouse or the controller. So actually, you mm -hmm. control the weapons, not so much the ship. The ship, ship follows your weapon aiming. This makes it so accessible in play like a shooter. And on the mm -hmm. wingtips, depending where the hard points for the weapons are, you actually see that weapon. And if it's, if you equip you see the gun like angle. Yeah. yeah. You see the gun angling. And of course it also changes. So if you have, a, let's say there's a rail gun, there's an auto cannon, whatever, a thermal gun that has auto tracking uh, projectiles, you see that changing. And uh, then again, there are uncommon, common, superior, legendary. I, I always forget one. I think we have five uh, stages. Uh -huh. rarities um, and then you, you see these change and then also uh, the color of the projectiles are changing so yeah <laughs> there's a lot where you can sink your teeth in so that's just the primaries then we do have easily similar amount of secondary weapons like your missiles rockets uh, then some some do EMP damage, shield damage, some do armor damage, whatnot. Then um, there are different type of mines that web your enemies, destroy, just have a great explosion, again, have EMP mines. And then it's really a question, how do you combine these mm -hmm. uh, primary and secondary weapons with the capabilities of your ship? For example, if you fly a bomber, um, you have endless amount of missiles because that's its specialty. Mm -hmm. You never have to buy missile socks. Usually it's uh, something that you burn through. And then if you are at the station, you have to uh, yeah, re restock your missiles. But with a bomber, you don't. Mm -hmm. um, versus if you, let's say, you play a scout, it's very fast and uh, quick, you get extra damage for long-range rep weapons. So you, that's your sniper class so to speak and obviously you go you do you won't go for missiles you would go for a rail gun and then maybe for a thermal gun that has this auto tracking um, that you can fly around rather crazy and uh, be very very fast but you know that either it's a long range hit scan or mm -hmm. you have your seeking uh projectiles that really melt enemies that's so cool and you've got these different weapons to battle different types of enemies uh in in watching people play and stream the game they're battling capital ships they're navigating uh asteroids they're battling and dog fighting other star starfighters a lot of different mission types here yeah yeah absolutely and it's not only in open space you also can fly down to the planet's surface and you can even go underground so certain planets i have not seen that. <laughs> so we have complex cave systems we fly through the cave so it's, it's a bit like you remember descent I think it was from the late yeah, 90s. Yeah, that's okay. a long time ago, exactly. Descent. Exactly. So there, there are vibes of Descent where you really fly underneath the ground and then there are certain doors that you have to open. So there are little puzzles where you have to get to the next area. And then, yeah, you find uh, you fight uh, starfighters, again, mines, whatnot, sometimes uh, also creatures. So there are certain cave crawlers 
whatnot. Uh, even, we even have space jellyfish at some point, and you have to get rid of those. And um, yeah, all signs, all types of enemies. And uh, again, we really wanted to make sure that it's not just this, your typical open space combat game where you shoot at, at small enemies at the end of the level, like tiny, tiny, and you barely see it. So it's just a mark on the screen. And we wanted to make sure that you also get uh, up and, I would say, close and personal with enemies, mm -hmm. um, like when you fl uh, fly through hollow asteroids uh, into space stations, even or inside of capital ships. And then have to do certain things. There are missions that are a little bit more complex, uh, hack terminals and whatnot. And at some point, um, while you cannot get out of your ship, so it's not like you do, you do have space legs, but there are certain missions where you cannot uh, continue with your sp uh, space fighter, but then you are remote controlling a drone. And then you go through very, very narrow passages and have to avoid laser barriers and other traps. So the game, again, changes. And we really wanted to make sure that there's a, a good change of gameplay mm -hmm. uh, because it takes about 50 hours, roughly, uh, to complete the game. So if you beeline the story, probably 30. Mm -hmm. If you go for a completionist run, then it's closer to 100. But we wanted to make sure that there's a good diversity in gameplay and that really helps a lot. Uh, forgive my ignorance on this one. Does the the player get to have multiple ships that they can rotate between because we have so many classes and builds or are they operating with one ship throughout? Uh, you can change your ship uh, any, at any time and you can keep them at your hangar. So there's a home base um, that you have to level up and then this mm -hmm. is where you store your goods, uh, your ships, I think you can store nine ships, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And then um, your equipment gets automatically uh, transferred. So if you say, I want to change the ship, then you don't have to go manually and uh, take the weapons over. So that's done for you. Um, and then there are ship dealers scattered around, uh, around the game world. Every star system has, I think, at least one ship dealer. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you if you approach them, you have to see what's, uh, what's on stock. And that changes. Mm -hmm. So it might make sure it uh, might make sense you go back and see uh, if they have a better offering and mm -hmm. um, then you can also decide if you swap your ship and just have to uh, pay the difference in price um yeah or if you just if you're if you're wealthy enough uh you just uh, start a nice collection and how does one get wealthy i think in some of the missions there are i believe you can mine or trade is that correct yeah, every space game has to have mining and uh, trading, so. of course. <laughs> you can buy low and sell high in the system. There's even, um, it's a simple but very effective way that tells you if this is a good price to buy and if, if in another system there's a good buy, uh, price to sell. It's not fully dynamic like you see a big freighter, I don't, I don't know, dumping um, coffee <laughs> or clothes mm -hmm. or earth wine or weapons and then the, the price changes on that station it doesn't go that crazy because we still wanted to keep it lightweight and easy and fun to play with so you find mm -hmm. your your trading routes and you, you you quickly find out the further you go the better is the trading uh in your the trading case right the, the better the margin so to speak so this is one then obviously uh completing jobs um so we have job boards uh mm -hmm. Pretty much every star system has a, a variety of jobs that you can do. Those are repetitive, uh, yeah, repeatable uh, mini missions, so to speak, like um, finding certain, uh, yeah, fighting certain baddies, recruiting lost containers. So you have search; uh, it's more like a search mission. Then there's a, always a fun one, minesweeper. So you go to an area where a lot of mines. 
Mm -hmm. So you either have to shoot them down in certain weapons, like a flak cannon that does a lot of splash, da splash damage, is much better suited than is if you have a, a railgun, which is more a sniper <laughs> that takes mm -hmm. a long time. The best thing is, though, use one of the devices. So there's a certain device that turns into an auto-missile um, turret, and there's mm -hmm. an option, if you upgrade it, it kills all the mines in your vicinity. So if you find out that, you would rather go for a job, the mine-sweeping job, and have that equipped. So that's that's another way. And then, uh, of course, you, you loot a lot. So uh, enemies drop loot um, that you can sell, but also there are a lot of uh, containers. Some are bulletproof, some are uh, secured, so you have to find, um, solve a little puzzle to unlock those. And then there's special gear in there that is also hand-placed. So the, the higher rarities are in those secured containers. So there's a good reward uh, for solving the little puzzle. And then you can sell these for good money because they are, uh, yeah, they're high, high in price. That is, that is a lot to take in. Was it difficult to avoid the player being overwhelmed? Like, let's say I just want to play a shooter. Other people want to get really into the buy, buy low, sell high uh, type mentality. It feels like the game is suited for both to be successful. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the thing with space games and space game fans. They just want everything. <laughs> yeah. We even have uh, space game fans. Oh, I want to fly capital ships, which changed the, the game completely. I mean, you couldn't dock at stations anymore and whatnot. So we won't do that. But this mm -hmm. is what people want, right? Um, but we also saw that certain things are within the hardcore space community. The puzzle mechanics are not so popular. So they're mm -hmm. like, no, I just want to fly and shoot stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the, which is why we made all these puzzle mechanics optional. So we really don't have to do them. Uh, there are a mm -hmm. few exceptions in the main mission, but really kept that easy. Um, still, you get these complaints. Why there are so many containers that I have to open? It's like, well, then don't open them. <laughs> and um, on the other hand, then some might uh, think, think that the combat is too intense. They just yeah. want to do exploration and say, well, why are there so many enemies? We're like, <laughs> well, it's a space combat game. There should be enemies, right? Yeah, we so want enemies. Yeah, exactly. You always have that, but we, we also try to make sure that uh, each star system has its areas mm -hmm. so you can look in every nook and cranny and there's something to find and then you avoid the combat and uh, other areas like high-risk areas so if you find a certain single decoder then you can unlock a certain location between each star system and there's going to be at least one boss tons of enemies so if you're not into exploration you just want to blow shit up mm -hmm. and you want to um, farm for these signal decoders mm -hmm. and then you go for your high-risk areas and then there's action nonstop. that's great that's so cool uh of course it's coming to playstation 5 to xbox series s and x it's been on pc uh how does performance uh working with the consoles you guys have a, a frame per second mark that you're hitting yeah exactly so we wanted to make sure that really we have a very strong solid 60 frames on xbox x and playstation 5 on the xbox s obviously that's 30 but uh, on the, the the main console, so to speak, the powerful consoles, we hit 60. Uh, we're rendering 4K. It's a dynamic resolution. So if there's too much going on, then while the UI still stays in 4K, sometimes the environment might scale down a bit. But uh, most mm -hmm. of the time, we have the 4K 60 frames. And um, since our team has a background, it goes all the way back to making 3D mobile games. They're pretty knowledgeable about uh, performance optimization. So we invested a lot. Unreal Engine is a great tool. 
obviously um <clears throat> you always have to strike a balance between visual quality and frame rate mm -hmm. um we try to do 30 frames with better visuals but we tested it and we all agreed at the studio it's not worth it let's not do this um so this is why we uh we don't have a quality mode there um i know people would say yeah but i want to try it out and decide for myself and like mm -hmm. it's it's in there people will complain so we said no we, we go for 60 yeah. frames and um it looks great um Obviously, if you're on PC and you have hardware that's more powerful than your console, mm -hmm. obviously the game looks a lot better. That's um, it's like uh, it's the way it is, right? Um, sure. Yeah. We also decided not to support the legacy uh, consoles because then we would have had to make a different game. It really, mm -hmm. especially with like going flying down to the planet surfaces, which are not procedurally generated, they are handcrafted. And we're using these height maps, and also we're using global illumination, which is baked into the textures. And that costs, uh, takes so much um, memory that mm -hmm. the old consoles wouldn't be able to handle that. Or we would have to scale down the quality so much mm -hmm. that people would complain, well, this game doesn't look at all like it does in your trailers. And this is why we said, well, we're not going to support the, the legacy consoles and rather have a true next-gen uh, experience. Gotcha. That makes good sense. Can't say I can't say I blame you. And I'm kind of glad that we're leaving some of the legacy stuff behind. But that is a point of privilege. I get that I'm I'm saying that. Um, of course, game comes out on August. I want to say fifteenth, August fifteenth. But you have a physical edition coming later for those that are wanting a collector's edition. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, it's a nice uh, steelbook in there. <clears throat> Again, production time uh, threw us a wrench in the works. So we had scheduled that for the same day. But then it's, I don't know what it was, uh, but, you know, uh, supply chain issues worldwide, mm. <laughs> something you have to deal with, and they couldn't make it. And the next slot, literally, um, it's like if you miss that slot for whatever reason, some something breaks in the chain, mm -hmm. then you slip to the next uh, quarter, and this is why it's going to ship uh, early uh, October. Were there thoughts of abandoning physical altogether? We see some companies, even with their AAA games, saying, all right, we're no longer doing physical. Yeah. Uh, was that was that a pillar for you? Um. Well, we wouldn't have been able to do this on our own. So this is why we partnered with Maximum Games. And they were very excited about the opportunity. And we said, well, if you want to do this, then obviously you have to negotiate a, a sweet deal. We did that. And um, they're really good. They know what they're doing. So we know it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And they have their distribution team. And um, if you have a special genre like we do in our case, you do have your super fans. And mm -hmm. they want to have that or would love or prefer to have that retail version that put that in the shelf. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, we, we won't sell millions of copies. We, we know that, right? Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's for sure. But uh, it's, there's enough demand in the market, obviously, um, or apparently, that it's worth go, uh, doing this. And, uh, well, we have to see how many copies uh, we've been selling. Uh, but we even have demand in Japan. So if, if, a, if a studio, a double A studio from Germany manages to create a game that has demand in retail in Japan, so there is something behind that. So, um, yeah, we're quite hopeful and we're looking, um, yeah, we're very excited about this. I mean, Everspace 2 <laughs> in Tokyo. Yeah. I could fly to Tokyo and get a copy <laughs> in a shop somewhere. That's uh, pretty awesome. That's so cool. So cool. Uh, Michael, we have covered everything that I had prepped for us and all the listener questions. We answered every single one of them, uh, which is an absolute blast. But I want to, before we go, uh, open the floor. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you think uh, 
the new future pilots would want to know? Yeah, maybe what's coming. So as I, as I said, we're already working on a free update. It's going to mm -hmm. drop uh, later this year. And it's going to add more legendaries, uh, more item sets, uh, more ship modules. But we're also working on a major expansion. And that's going to ship late 2024, maybe early 2025. And that's a significant one. So that this will have more star systems, mm -hmm. uh, a new storyline, uh, new side missions, and mm -hmm. that's going to be a ton of content. So almost the entire team will be working on this for 18 months or so. We even get a, a government funding partially from the German uh, government. So it's it's a it's a major expansion. The budget is four million euro. So that's. Uh, quite a lot very excited for this so there will be more even if you if you're a fan of everspace 2 if you love that it's going to take a bit of time because we have to produce the content mm -hmm. but there will be more uh it's, it's more coming oh man that's exciting that's so cool i dig it i dig it uh well michael shade shade did i get there it right there we go yeah there we go <laughs> ceo and co-founder of rockfish games thank you so much for joining me today Luke, thanks again for having me. Awesome.